Friday, everyone. Welcome to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Burrard. I'm your host, Michelle Burrard, founder and CEO of Michelle A. Burrard LLC and Urban Book Editor. And I'm very happy to share this hour with you where we examine all those places where spirit meets life and the joys and challenges that may bring. You guys know I like to start by thanking Ms. Beverly Black and Tribe Family Channel for helping me create this space for us. Tribe Family Channel is home to an assortment of thought-provoking shows that explore life, spirit, business, and culture, including The Woman at the Well, hosted by Ms. Beverly Black herself. Somewhere in the Middle was born on Tribe Family Channel, and though we have grown onto our own platform, we are ever grateful and loyal to our roots. To paraphrase an African proverb, we are here only because we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. I want to say thank you to my guest on the May 8th show, Christian author Alan Black. You can connect with Alan on social media, and his books are available on Amazon. If you missed that show, make sure you listen to the replay. You can find our complete show archives, including the May 8th show, at thesomewhereinthemiddlepodcast.com. I also want to shout out Bruce George of the Geniuses Common Movement, which encourages all of us to embrace our inner genius and share it with the world. This is a really important message, and I hope you guys will share it with the youth. But it's not just for the youth. We adults sometimes need to be reminded that the world needs our genius. Learn more about the Geniuses Common Movement at www.geniusiscommon.com. Now, this week's interview is a little rough around the edges. My guest, Sam Woods, called in from prison in Ohio, where he's serving a lengthy sentence. His wife, Ashley Woods, called in from their home in Ohio. There will be sounds of prison in this interview, including a recording advising us that the call is coming from an Ohio prison. If you are not familiar with how those who are incarcerated have to communicate with their loved ones, these sounds may be jarring. I hope you will listen with empathy and patience as Sam and Ashley share their story. Let me tell you a little about Sam. Sam Woods is a native of Canton, Ohio, where he was indoctrinated into street life at the age of 12. Despite a strong desire to turn things around for himself, Sam found himself moving from the juvenile court system to the adult prison system. He currently is incarcerated in Mansfield Correctional Institution, serving a 35 years to life sentence for murder. He has been in prison for six and a half years. Sam Woods has a beautiful and loving wife, Ashley Woods, and two wonderful children, Samuel Woods Jr. and Deshauna Miller. It is their love and support that keeps Sam motivated to fight for justice in his case. He wants those who are in a similar situation to continue and to never give up the fight for their freedom. He encourages them to go to the legal library to learn everything they can about the law. Sam Woods is the author of Imprisonment, which will be out in June of 2020. So I would like to welcome Sam and Ashley Woods to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. Sam, Ashley, how are you? Thank you for being on the show. I'm Good. doing fine. Thanks Thank for having me. Thank you. Good afternoon. Awesome, awesome. Well, guys, I really appreciate you taking the time, and I know that this is a little challenging to do. Um, this call is may or may... from an Ohio correctional facility and may be recorded and monitored. All right, so, and that's why it's a little challenging. (laughs) (laughs) 
um, yes. to do this, but we really wanted mm-hmm. to um, learn about Sam and his book and the things that he's talking about in his book are really important, particularly for the black community, for the black and brown communities, as they say. So, Sam, if you don't mind, I'm going to start with uh, the two questions I usually ask at the beginning of an interview, and that is, um, Sam Woods, who are you, and how did you become who you are today? Um, That's a good question. I'm a man that got many flaws. I've been through so many different things in my life, dealing with poverty, you know, then dealing with, you know, being in gangs and running the streets, you know, to being incarcerated numerous of times, to now trying to become a man with integrity, dignity, honesty, truth, and just trying to be somebody that can lead the way and show others you know, what not to do and try to become a better man and a better person. You know, that's that's what I am today, man. I'm just a man trying to become something great, greater than what he's been. So let me ask you then, how did you, well, where are you right now? Let's start with that. Where are you physically right now? I'm incarcerated in North Central Correctional Facility. It's in Ohio. Marion, Ohio. Yeah, I'm and currently serving a 35-life sentence. Well, and I know that you can't really talk in detail about your case, but how did, you know, you talk in your book. Tell us about your book. You have a book that you've written. Yeah, i got a book that I've written. Uh, I say I started writing it in 2018. It's called Imprisonment. And uh, the concept came uh, when I wanted to make a change in my life. And there was a lot of things going on in the world, dealing with the court system, dealing with the streets. And there was a lot of things that I just wanted to speak on. This call is originating from an Ohio correctional facility and may be recorded and monitored. There was a lot of different things that I wanted to speak on, and I felt I can speak my truth by writing my own words in my own book and, you know, be able to really get my my truth out there and talk about the things I want to talk about. Well, and one of the things that you talk about is the epidemic of incarceration, particularly in the black community, and what you consider to be some of the reasons for that. Do you want to share what your thoughts are on that? Yeah. Yeah. I've been in and out of uh, the system since I was 12 years old, so I've been seeing the cycle for a long time now. And by me coming to prison, you know, for so many different times, I see that there's really nothing that has changed as far as the system helping the black, the blacks, you know, in particularly gain the knowledge, the wisdom, and the tools they need to succeed when they do get let back out into the free world and try to be a better citizen, you know? So when I wrote this book, that's what I really wanted to tap into. I really wanted to tap into that that aspect alone and talk about what we need to do, you know, to fix these horrible, horrible, horrible problems in the system, you know? Because it's really it's really hard for us for somebody to get released from prison 
who has nothing, you you know, to really succeed out there, you know, if, if you don't have no tools to even get a job because there's no programs that you was incarcerated. When you was incarcerated, there wasn't any programs to help you, you know, fend for yourself as far as getting jobs because a lot of us come from poverty. A lot of us come from a broken home, so we really didn't know nothing about getting jobs and working a job and things of that nature to, to, to really be an upstanding citizen in, in America. So, so it's not for lack of desire to be a, a, an upstanding citizen. It's for lack of resources is what I'm hearing. Is that what you're – The lack of resources as well, you know. A person can say, well, if a person wanted to change, they could have did better, and so on and so forth, which is true. But on the flip side, there's nothing wrong with having a little guidance, a little help. You know, everybody okay. needs mm-hmm. some guidance and everybody needs some help. You know, ain't nobody in this world perfect. So the point that I was making in my book is if the system was able to give us a little help and a little guidance for those who may have not been able to get the guidance and help that they was needing on the streets, so when we in prison, we can fend for ourselves when we get back out there to society. Right. So I was so really, you know, trying to touch bases on that. Well, let's start with your – tell where did you grow up and tell us about your upbringing. Because I think one of the things that struck me as I was reading your manuscript was you said that this is very common. The way that you grew up was very common for kids in your area. And right. it might help for people to have kind of a little bit of a overall view, you know, maybe not super detailed, but a, a overall view of how things were for you. Yeah. I came uh, from Canton, Ohio, you know, better known as the Hall of Fame State Pro, Hall of, Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, came came up, you know, on the northwest end of Canton. You know, ain't nothing but, you know, prostitution, drugs, gangs. You know, my home was broken. You know, my father was murdered when I was two. You know, and my mom, she was she was a drug abuser. And her boyfriend at the time, he abused drugs as well, and he abused my mother. So I witnessed a lot of abuse, you know, in my upbringing, which led to me, you know, selling drugs, you know, entering gangs, and, you know, just doing all the things that you really don't want to do, but you kind of get forced into it if that makes any any sense to you, you know, because this is the only thing you're around. You're not around anything positive. You know, I come up just being around all negativity things, you know, not really not really no schooling, not really getting no proper education. You know, I didn't even finish I didn't even finish school. I didn't make it to the twelfth grade. You know, I made it to the tenth, then make it This call is originating from an Ohio correctional facility and may be recorded and monitored. I didn't, I didn't make it to the 12th. I made it to the 10th, but, you know, I, I, when I came to prison, I got my GED in prison. I, learned, I got a lot of my education from being in prison due to the fact I wanted to really educate myself. I had to educate myself, you know, because it really wasn't no proper school in, in prison. You have to really get it on your own. You have to really learn and really, you know, if you really want it, you got to go out there and get it on your own. But, yeah, I, I came up kind of rough. So 
I have worked with other folks who are incarcerated, and one common theme that I get is that there was an an extreme amount of poverty growing up, but also often a need to take care of, I mean, just to make sure you can eat and your siblings can eat oftentimes. Is that similarly what drove you to try and make some money in the streets? Yeah, I mean, in my book I talk about how me and my mother and my oldest sister had to move in with one of my eldest sisters due to the fact we got evicted. And uh, she had three kids of her own. So we was living in a duplex, which only held two bedrooms, you know. So, I mean, you're talking about someone who's struggling, you know. I mean, Mm -hmm. I had to sleep on the floor. So it was kind of rough around that time. And, uh, you know, when you're dealing with those type of situations, it kind of leads you to selling drugs and trying to do things to, to help your mother out, to help, you know, with the rent and help put food on the table, you know, because at the time you, you really don't have nothing. You don't have nobody. So you went to school, but at some point you ended up leaving school. What made you leave school? I was in the streets. I left school when I was in the sixth grade. I probably was 12, 13 years old. School became secondary to me. You know, streets came first. When I woke up in the morning, I hit the streets. I hit the block. You know, I wanted to be around all the other kids that was out there. And just, you know, I didn't really have no no role models in my life. My father was gone. My older brother, he'd been moved out the house. He really never... You know, he really never gave me the game that I really needed due to the fact he was trying to build himself and turn himself into a man, you know? Mm-hmm. So I ran to, I ran to the streets, and uh, by me running to the streets led to a lot of different things that I wouldn't wish on nobody. Uh, give me an example of one or two of those things. Uh, just violence. A lot of fighting, uh, being in and out of jail, uh, just horror things that I'm trying to, in my book, I'm trying to give the youth a different direction to take. Because, <laughs> you know, when you're 12, 13 years old, you're so young, you're really not thinking about going to jail or you're not thinking about the consequences of the things that you're doing due to the fact you really don't even know. You don't know that, it, you know, how serious the crimes that you're committing are, selling drugs and, you know, doing things of that nature. So, yeah. Well, I have to ask because we have your lovely wife on the call too, Ashley. And <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you guys um, grew up in the same city? Yes. Um, We're from the same town, essentially. Um, I was born about 15 minutes away. And how long have you guys known each other? Uh, I would say, oh, gosh, we've been married for going on three years. This call is originating from an Um, Ohio correctional facility and may be recorded and monitored. We've known each other 
been married going on three years, known each other around ten. Wow. Okay. And so you've known this man all this time, and uh, you got married about three years ago. Yes. While he was incarcerated. Yes. <laughs> That's love, man. Talk, talk to me. What, what was the, yeah, what was the thought process there? How did that, how did you all decide that to keep your lives going? Despite you have one minute remaining <laughs> to be continued. No. <laughs> We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll have the rest of the interview with Sam and Ashley Woods. I know building a website can be intimidating, but you need a place where your audience can connect with you. Instead of fighting with technology, try the easiest, most flexible website builder available. With templates for all types of websites, ranging from landing pages to e-commerce, Urban Book Editor's platform makes creating an author website quick and easy. Just add a section, upload your photos and videos, type your text, and you're in business. It couldn't be easier. And if you sign up for an annual plan, you can get 10% off the first year. Just use discount code FIRSTYEAR. That's one S-T-Y-E-A-R, the number one, S-T-Y-E-A-R, in all caps. Take advantage of the 14-day free trial. No credit card is needed. Visit urbanbookeditor.com and select Create Your Author Website from the menu bar at the top of the page. No more struggling with technology. No more paying a small fortune to developers. Create beautiful websites without learning to code. Spend more time writing and less time worrying about your website. Just go to urbanbookeditor.com and select Create Your Author Website. You'll see how easy it is to build a great website to showcase your work. Go to urbanbookeditor.com and select Create Your Author Website today. We're continuing our interview with Sam and Ashley Woods. Sam is the author of Imprisonment. So can you repeat your question again? I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, so, I'm, I mean, you guys got married in, in prison while he was in prison. So um, what? that's quite a love story. <laughs> How did that right. come about? How did you decide to keep your lives going uh, in spite of seven the years. After seven years, she reached out to me during my incarceration, and we basically rebuilt it on our friendship from when I was on the street. And our connection kind of got deeper. And uh, she seen my situation. She seen I was an innocent man serving a life sentence, and it kind of drawn her even more to me due to the fact she felt my pain and my struggle that I was going mm-hmm. through. And, uh, yeah, we kind of, like, took off from there, and the friendship kind of got deeper, and here we are, right. married. Mm-hmm. You know, love um, is strong. It yeah, is, sure. obviously. We found each other um, again, and it was just a really beautiful thing. I I was dealing with some things, also had a background of abuse, had recently lost my father, 
was not really sure what direction I was taking in life as well. Um, I was running around um, recklessly, and there was a time where this call is originating I, from an Ohio correctional facility and may be recorded and monitored. Also was um, involved in the streets as well, and I almost lost my life. And I think at that point, my husband really, from where he was at, and at this point we were just like getting, rekindling, you know, even more of our friendship. And I think what, the way he stepped up for me and was there for me when I really didn't feel like anybody else was, you know, just made me want to fight for him harder. And we just kept growing and growing, and it seemed as though everybody was against our love, like friends and family. They're like, are you sure you want to do this? But, you know, the way we see it is whenever you know, like, you have that person, that person, like, he's my person. Like, he, like, we, we built one another, you know? Yeah. When you got somebody that's willing to fight uh, with you, yeah. And willing to fight for you and really be there for you and hold you down and no matter what, going to stand by your side, it's hard to deny somebody like that. You you want that person in your life forever. So right. I asked her to marry me, you know. <laughs> and she said, yeah, and, you know, we're going to be married forever. Yeah. Well, I know, Ashley, you said that you you, you had your own uh, experiences in the street. What what yeah. was that? Um, I mean, we, we hear about men all the time and, and, mm-hmm. and what they're doing. What is it that you were doing as a young lady? Um, <laughs> I was thinking, Sam's laughing. I, I was thinking I was uh I was thinking I was a woman living in a quote unquote man's world, basically doing the, a lot of the same thing, minus the gang stuff that he was doing. Um, just trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents, pretty much. Um, mm-hmm. Staying out late, running around, in and out of clubs, bars, uh, things like that. And yeah, <laughs> but you you had you came into a dangerous situation. You pulled back, which is good, and you're able to be on uh, here helping and fighting for Sam. Sam's got a very difficult situation because he was accused of something that um, very serious and got convicted. Yeah. And y'all are now fighting to get him out because you know it, he didn't do it and. How's that because going? Of, because of the injustice system. That's what we call it, the injustice system. Um, yeah. Yeah. How is that fight going? What does that look like? What do What are people facing when they're trying to prove their innocence on a case like this? What kinds of things they've run into? <laughs> so it's much. a tough fight. It's a tough fight. I mean... <laughs> You know, I'm living proof of it every day. But what keep me and my spirits high and what keep me focused is my innocence, knowing that I'm innocent and, you know, all my truth, like, that I have to present the courts, you know, it gives me the power to remain focused and remain strong and just wait for my time and my day to come. 
Right. Well, I mean, are the courts responsive? Um, what I what I observe is that they're not particularly responsive uh, in some of these matters. Like they don't care that somebody might be innocent and they're sitting there, or that somebody not might be serving the wrong sentence. You know, they, wrong. they don't like to be wrong, you know. So whenever whenever you calling them out on their wrongdoings, you know, they're not like. Uh, they're not going to just say, oh, okay, we messed up, and boom, we're going to rela- we're going to release you. It's a process that you have to right. go through. And, they're uh, so quick to put you away, but when it comes to fighting for your innocence, you know, it's just different. Him being a minority as well, um, it just yeah, feels to us, and statistics show there's harsher punishment for less evidence. And that's really, mm. his book talks a lot about that, too. Exactly. So we only have a few more minutes. I want to get into a couple of things of, that are like current events. Um, you know, we're dealing with COVID-19, uh, hashtag pandemic 2020, right? Right. Um, Corona. I, I personally have some concerns about people who are incarcerated because Y'all can't create this illness. Yeah, it's not going to start with you guys, but if it gets into the prisons, it could sweep through there and really do some damage. What's going on in where you are? I mean, are they taking precautions? Well, they're actually or... Yeah, they taking they taking this they taking this virus real serious. They just shut the visitation mm-hmm. room down like uh, for thirty days. Uh, Possibly longer. Uh, This call is originating from an Ohio correctional facility and may be recorded and monitored. Yeah, they they shut the visitation room down for 30 days. Uh, They really take a precaution in here. You know, they came in here, they told everybody to not shake each other's hands, wash your hands, and things of that nature. But my theory on that is, is way different than than the world, I'm assuming. I don't know. Well, my question is, are they testing the guards? Are they may be, are they testing the staff that come <laughs> exactly. in to do stuff? Because y'all can't, you can shake all the hands you want. Can't nobody bring anything in. You know, y'all can't bring it in. It has to be a guard right. or a, another type of employee, an administrative staff, something. Are they testing them before right. they go in? Because, like, what I'm hearing about the hospitals is that, a lot of these doctors and nurses can't even walk in the door until they check their temperature and different stuff like that. What are they doing? Do you know if they're doing any of that? To, or have they expressed that they have an emergency plan, Ashley, um, about um, you know what are they going to do if they do get some cases? I've reached out to his case manager. Um, I mean, nobody's really contacted me back. I know they had him sign a paper, um, which, hey. in my opinion, was like a waiver. <laughs> what do you say? What as far as the CEOs go, if you sick or if one of these CEOs get sick or if they showing any symptoms, they they're not going to come into work. Right. You yeah. know, and from what I've been noticing, a lot of these CEOs haven't been coming into work. They've been short of staff. So I've been watching oh. some of the same CEOs here. They, you know, they work 12-hour shifts here. They've been working 24-hour shifts, I've been noticing. Wow. wow. I mean, okay. they're taking precaution. Right. 
Just that Ohio's been hit pretty hard, I thought. I mean, I haven't, I don't have the numbers, but I thought Ohio had been hit pretty hard, just like California. Yeah, it's yeah. been. It, yeah. it was like a mile down the street from me at the hospital, and then mm. they sent everybody um, at my job to work from home. So we've just been trying to. This call that. is originating from an Ohio correctional facility, and may be recorded and monitored. People is out of work right now, so we need that money Trump talking about for sending. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he's. Uh, I don't. I don't know what's going to happen with that. I've been watching it myself. Well, guys, we are coming up on our time. What do you want? If you have one thing that you wanted to share with, let's say, a young person right now, Sam, about your situation and how to avoid it, what would that be? I think going to school is very important. You know, when I was coming up, I barely went to school. I mean, because I wanted to run the streets. I really feel like going to school, it keeps you away from trouble. I mean, go to any recreation center that you have in your community. I mean, let's let's try to do all the things that's positive and that'll keep you away from entering, you know, the street life. I would recommend you to do that. Even go to church. I mean, you know, all these things will help you stay away from, you know, running the streets and just the people that you're around. If you're around any anybody that's really not positive, I think you should distance yourself from them. Right. You know? And how do young people recognize that? Because, like you said, when you were a kid, that's who you wanted to be around. How do they recognize that before they get into trouble? They, they, that's when, you know, someone like me will have to show them a different route. We'll have to show them a different route to take so they wouldn't have to go that route. I mean, personally, an older brother, an uncle, an older cousin, right. you know, Anybody, like anybody that's listening to this interview, if you have a little nephew or son or a little brother that you see might be wanting to take that road down, you know, down the underworld side or down the wrong path, right now is the time to grab a hold of him, man, and, uh, you know, really show them, like, this is not the life that you want to take and really try to give them some type of positive steps to take and, you know, give them some type of different things to do, positivity, you know, entering into sports, things in that nature. You know, it's, it's, it's so many different things that you can do to the, the youth that will help them from going down that wrong path, you know. Yeah, I have a um... – I have a last five rule. Like, if you look at your phone, your last five texts, if they're from somebody that isn't benefiting you or profiting you or, you know, just motivating you, then that's a that's a step number one It just, you know, maybe reevaluating who you have around you or who you're communicating with, who who is, you know, benefiting you on a daily. Is that person an anchor or is that person helping you sail? Mm, that's a really nice guideline, five text rule. I like that. Yeah. And it sounds like it sounds like what Sam is really advocating for if I if I may interpret Sam it sounds like you're advocating for the adults to step up and really guide yes. kids Definitely. in a way Definitely. that maybe they have not us. done so. 
Mm-hmm. It starts right. with us, definitely. You know everything, and 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 that's what my book. I really was touching base on, you know, in my book, parenting. I talk about parenting in my book and how important mm-hmm. it is from the upbringing for us to show our kids a different a different route to take, you know, because kids usually only do what they see, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, we only we only do what we see. We only say what we hear. So if we see only positive things, we're going to mimic that. If we hear positive things, we're going to repeat that. So You have one minute remaining. So like I said, man, you know, any older brother, father, uncle, grab a hold of your nephew, sons, cousins, mm-hmm. man, you know, and start, you know, taking them out and showing them a different route. Right. Well, and Ashley, I'm going to ask you one final question before we wrap up. What recommendations would you give for people who have family who are incarcerated, family and friends who are incarcerated that they care about? What recommendations would you give for them in terms of staying in touch, making sure that they can actually maintain contact, and also helping to advocate for the for the wellness and care of their loved one? Um, as far as staying in touch and contact, you know, writing letters, uh, now in today's age, a lot of the prisons have electronic systems um, such as JPay, or I know like in the federal system they have another. another Thank you story. for using GTL. Um, those things are very inexpensive. Most everybody has a debit card. Usually it's like $5 for 30 stamps or something like that. You can write um, your loved ones electronically, so that's a great way to keep in touch. Um, another way is just to don't forget that there's still people, too. Regardless of where they are, you're still living, breathing. He's just under a different roof. So, you know, just try to stay loyal and real to, to those you love. Send pictures. Um, as far as trying to stay positive, don't lose yourself in trying to, you know, trying to live this life as well. You still have to make sure that you're taking care of yourself because a lot of times, um, especially as women, I know that a lot of times we may put ourselves last. So just make sure that you're yeah. focusing on the things that you need to do to, to remain grounded so then that way your relationship with your loved one can be grounded. And um, just just try to be, you know, the honest, good person that you are and being there for other people. Well, I know Sam had to drop off, um, but Ashley, thank you so much for being on Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Barrard. I appreciate Sam being on the show, too. Oh, you were able to get back in. Awesome. I was just saying, I knew that you had to drop off, Sam. Well, thank you so much. I know this is a challenging way to um, do this interview, but I'm so appreciative of you, you two making this work. Thank you. And then Michelle, um, I appreciate all the work you've done on my book, and uh, congratulations on your show too, man. I see it's popping right now. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And I also wanted to let people know that if they're interested in ordering a pre-copy um, of Imprisonment, we are releasing it June 10th of 2020. We have a website. It's bookbytheshelf.org, and you can put in a request to pre-order your copy there. 
Um, we also have a Facebook page, Books by the Shelf, LLC, as well as an Instagram page, Books by the Shelf, LLC. So, yeah, check us out there. Um, and we appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you. Y'all have a great afternoon. Yeah, man. Uh, make sure you, you go out and grab that book. It's a good read. It's very educational. Something that I feel that everybody, every household should have. Thank you. Well, that's our show this week, guys. You can reach out to me online at urbanbookeditor.com or michelleberard.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as Urban Book Editor. Send me a note. I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to send in some topics you'd like us to cover on the show. You guys know we take the month of June off to celebrate my birthday. Shout out to all the June babies out there. So on June 12th, we'll be having an encore presentation of an interview I had with Diane Sears, who is an advocate for prison reform and for fathers who are in prison to help them keep their relationships with their children. You can find us twice a month on Fridays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, and 8 p.m. Eastern at the Somewhere in the Middle Podcast.com. Let's continue the conversation. You guys be good, stay mindful, and remain prayerful. Peace and blessings, y'all.